Sponsored by JMR Rentals, professional digital cinema and broadcast rentals in Brooklyn, New York. To find out more, visit their website, jmrny.com. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and this is part two of our recap slash review of streaming movies and series of 2020. And joining me once again is our very own uh, movie reviewer and uh, partner, EJ Argenio. Welcome back, EJ. Jason, how are you, my friend? Good to be with you as always. Looking forward to talking some series with you. Feels like we just did this. Uh, doesn't it? <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking series. Uh, we're going to be talking Netflix series. Um, we did Netflix movies. Now we're going to talk about Netflix series. And again, we are not endorsed uh, or, or sponsored by Netflix. These We're just breaking these down by platform because it was the easiest way to do it. Uh, there's so, you know, so many different streaming platforms and so much content. We're trying to decipher it all for you. And I don't know if all of these will still be on Netflix by the time you watch them. So don't at me. They are currently running on Netflix at the time of this taping. All right. So uh, with all that preface out of the way, let's get into it. So uh, our first series, Homemade, is a series of short films about isolation and quarantine and it's done by a bunch of different directors some famous some not so famous some american some from different countries around the world directors included kristen stewart antonio campos maggie gyllenhaal david mckenzie and sebastian shipper i did not see all of the films but those were uh, i definitely watched about maybe half of the episodes there very interesting more some more like documentary-esque some more fiction some i think are more fortunate than others because kristen stewart is basically filming herself and she gets to be kristen stewart you also had uh, maggie gyllenhaal direct a movie and her husband is uh peter skarsgård he's you know a wonderful actor so if you happen to live with a movie star it's a great advantage for to make one of these movies if you happen to be quarantined with you know a, a great filmmaker a movie star i thought it was really interesting and it's just a real you know kind of credit to creativity and the things that people can do given not a lot of resources i imagine that some of these were filmed on phones or smaller cameras, you know, that kind of thing. I recommend it. It's unusual. I didn't watch these in order. I kind of just kind of picked random ones that I thought looked interesting uh, based on like the icon or whatever. Uh, you know, I, of course, I watched the ones with the movie stars in them because those are the people that I know. But uh, it was them. It was a lot of people doing things you don't normally see them do which I thought was great. It was a chance for actors to stretch. It was a chance for, I don't know if Maggie Gyllenhaal has ever directed another movie, you know, but uh, this I gave her I a believe, chance to direct. I believe she has, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's a perfect situation for some of them because uh, you're not relying on a studio or another director, you know, when the choice is up to you, why would you not give yourself that, you know, that challenge? That brings us to our next series, which was Umbrella Academy season two season two was uh really interesting because after season one and uh, the threat of the apocalypse we see our uh young uh superheroes travel back in time not knowing where they land and we find out they land in the early 1960s 
during a time of turmoil, except uh, unbeknownst to them, they're uh, once again fighting or trying to fend off the apocalypse. And uh, this this, uh, season had a lot more to do with social circumstances. They deal a lot with society and how they handled certain things like racial insensitivity, race relations, uh, homophobia in the 1960s. They're in Dallas, Texas. A few of them land in 1961, others land in 1963. We're sort of playing catch up and waiting for them to reunite. But one of the central themes of this season is also the JFK assassination or the attempt on JFK's life and sort of trying to rewrite that history. Um, what I love about this show is, is not only its creativity and great acting, but it's a fun show. There's a lot of Easter eggs, uh, references to other franchises like Star Wars and Back to the Future other superhero flicks. I like how lighthearted the film could be while at times being very heavy-hearted. I liked how it was different despite keeping the similar element of fending off the apocalypse, which was a main theme in season one. Vanya's character played by Ellen Page, uh, you know, she was really uh, the antagonist of season one and it was good that they sort of brought her back into the fold. Her memories wiped and it's sort of about her recovering her identity and finding out who she is, and that slowly begins to happen as she discovers uh, her siblings or her adopted siblings, also located in Dallas, Texas. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, my biggest gripe is that now I have to wait another 12 to 15 months for season three because it really left at a great cliffhanger and like, like season one did. And now I'm just hungry for more. I liked it a lot too. I liked the first season. Now uh, I'm I was a fan of the books. Uh, the uh, the books are by Gerard Way and a illustrator called Gabriel Ba, uh, who I hadn't seen any of his things. I hadn't seen his work before. His work, the artwork in Umbrella Academy is so it's so unusual and great. I was almost helping, hoping that they would make this an animated series. Oh no, I, I'm know. happy that it's live action. I'm not a big animation fan or anime, so I'm glad this is live action. I always prefer that. I mean, I love the casting. I think the casting is great. Uh, we talked before, Ellen Page is terrific in this. I mean, I think she's a wonderful actress anyway, even in movies like when she's in Inception, you know, she's basically a character that exists to be told expositional dialogue to, uh, but she still creates a character there. And uh, definitely Aiden Gallagher, who plays five, uh, this who is like a 50-year-old trapped in a 15-year-old's body. Uh, he's tremendous. I, I think, you know, we were talking in our last episode about Del a Delroy Lindo being a lock for awards. I think this kid definitely deserves an Emmy nomination if he hasn't gotten one already for the part. I was uh, thinking that too. You know, I think Emmy Raver Lamp Lampman, uh, who, who plays Rumor, is terrific as well. You know, even take characters like who, re who replaces Hazel and Chacha this season, you know, because they, there's, there's always, you know, hitmen coming for the Umbrella Academy because of the, uh, what they call, I believe, the Time Council, who you learn about more uh, in this season, but instead of Hazel and Chacha, we're given the three Swedes. And while they are, um, you know, basically uh, mute Hans Gruber-esque characters, they're also very funny in their own right. Um, just to give you a little spoiler here, they, they, they take over um, someone's home as a, uh, as a headquarters for themselves. And uh, it's an older woman with many cats. And while they 
disperse of the older woman, they seem to find a connection with all the cats. <laughs> and you see them, you know, living in her house and then feeding them and stuff like that. Those, those little things, you know, go a long way. So there's definitely a shift in the emotional tension of the, of the, of the show. And it, it, it keeps you, uh, it's, a, it's a nice steady wave. I guess that's the best way to put it. There's a, there's a, there's a nice path, you know, from start to finish of each episode and um, ultimately start to finish in the series. Yeah, I like some of the crazier elements. Like the cra- for me, the crazier it got the, and the closer to the book it got, the more I like it. Yeah. Like I love the character who's like the head of the time capsule whose head is a fishbowl. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> with the fish in it and it's it's like a it's a fish in water talking through this body uh you know like that's that's straight ripped right out of the pages of the comic and it's like such a cool visual element and it's like so much fun to have that as a character uh and then you had some new characters too which i, I really like like in the book the the kate walsh character mm-hmm. i don't think she she's not in the book but it's she it's great to have her as a sort of foil for five, you know, and, and to personify that whole thing, which uh, really works well. Like she really works well. She's really good. And when you see her interact with the Swedes and you see her interact with five uh, and even in the first series, when she was uh, sort of the the boss of Hazel and Uh, Mm Cha-Cha, she does a great job. In fact, I think the entire cast is really strong and uh, everybody really gets their moments. And it's a really good ensemble. We do learn more about, uh, you know, these young superheroes and their powers. Uh, some of that is disclosed. And uh, remember, they were, uh, you know, originally, uh, you know, seven picked out of 43 all born at the same time uh, in 1989. So they, they deal with that storyline a little bit. And we learn about uh, some of the others, if you will, born on that same day. Yeah, I thought that was cool, too. And it gives you a sense of a larger world. We also learn more about the dad uh, mm-hmm. who's played by Colm Fury, who's a wonderful actor. He creates the Umbrella Academy um, and we find out, you know, what his origin story is toward, I think, the end of season one. And then we see more uh, in season two. We also get this backdrop of the Kennedy assassination and uh, how uh, number two, uh, how Diego wants to stop the Kennedy assassination and, and, you know, cause he's, he identifies as a hero. And it was funny to me the way Diego was, was used uh, more in a uh, serious tone in season one. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, especially because of wanting to stop the Kennedy assassination, he's uh, providing a little bit more comedic relief this season. Um, and and I, I think that really works from him for him. Uh, my favorite character is still Klaus. Uh, Klaus, I, I think uh, his character never fails, and every 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 uh, scene he's in, he steals. All the characters progress, like all the characters grow. And one thing I thought was really cool was you kind of expected that, you know, because with season one, it, it ends with them all holding hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you expect that they'll all wind up in the same time together, but they don't. They wind up in different times. It, it gets screwed up like one like one's in 61 one's in 62 like so that's something i've never seen before in a movie either is playing with the the disorganization of time travel time, time travel within time travel like you know because yeah like uh I, just to give you know a little spoiler away you know five arrives in 1963 so he's really the last one um to arrive and it's you know 
we, we, we see how everyone else does as well, but, you know, they have established lines. Uh, I, I love how Luther is, uh, you know, somehow the, the muscle for Jack Ruby. Like, throwing in all realistic elements, I like the way it, it, it marries fact and fiction and does it in a comedic way while also doing it in, in a uh, comic superhero way. Because they each have their own stories, they each kind of get these moments to shine. They get real arcs, which is great. Uh, the, the Klaus, who we talked about before, Robert Sheehan, uh, is the character. Who, he's actually Irish, um, which uh, <laughs> I did not know because he does a terrific American accent, but he, he has his own cult. And uh, he tells them that the world's going to end in 2019. But in fact, we find out that it's going to end much, much sooner. Uh, and he, you know, he's got the drug addiction angle. And, you know, his whole thing is he can commune with dead people. So he's talking to their brother, Ben, who's uh, been a ghost this whole time, who comes back with them, uh, unbeknownst to the rest of the characters. <laughs> yeah, that's where Klaus and Ben really work well together. And, and not to mention, he's also uh, suffering from PTSD. Because if you remember back to season one, he was fighting in the Vietnam War, which has yet to happen in season two. And he's also, you know, he's another one who tries to interfere with time and, and change things. And I, I and um, you know, based on that war, he tries to uh, uh, get in touch with uh, some of his fellow soldiers that you know before they you know have a have a chance to enlist. But I, I really like, I, I really loved how. They, there was an element or a theme that they applied to each of the characters that the closer you get to something you're trying to change, you're going to affect the present even further. So it's, it's not even the ripple effect. It's like the ripple can be caused just by being in the same room or just by being in the timeline rather. You know, they, they could have been isolated all within the same room for the entirety of the series and that still would have had an effect on the timeline. And they, may, they, they kept true to that theme throughout the series for each character. One thing I liked about this uh, series as well, I actually liked season two better than season one. I liked season one, but I liked this even more. One of the reasons is that you, you get more Ellen Page, uh, and she has a much deeper storyline, I think, than she had in the first one. Yes. Uh, and uh, they also, I mean, it also, it comments, it's a, a lot of it is a commentary on, social norms and what life was like in the early 60s when uh the rumor character go goes back uh you know she's living in segregated texas you know dealing and, with the civil rights movement yeah and you know to see that from a perspective of somebody who grew up in a post-civil rights movement having to go backward in a sense uh, and I think Paige is really strong here. I think everybody's really strong, but she gets a lot to do. And I feel like she comes more into her own as a character as well. And there's some, definitely some good action in this too. And some cool superpower stuff. We, yeah. you know, like, um, there, there's a, a, I won't spoil it, but there's a great part where two does something we've never seen him do before, uh, <laughs> in one of the big scenes. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, so you do find yourself rooting. But I also, I definitely recommend the series. But if you're a comic book fan and you haven't yet, definitely check out the books. They're a lot of fun. And the artwork is wonderful. It's just really great uh, artwork and real page turner. And weird. Gabriel Gerardway's uh, writing is totally weird and fun. And this is not the only thing he's written. So if you like this, you'll like some other stuff that he's done. All right, let's move on. Uh, the next series I did not see, but you saw. 
called Dead to Be. What was this one about? Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini star in this uh, comedy, dramedy, if you will. It's, it's, it's a half hour episodic series, 10 episodes a series. And while it constitutes as a comedy, there's a lot of drama in this show. And it's, uh, it could definitely, you know, punch you in the gut when it comes to the emotional aspect, because it always seems like they're, they're dealing with a, a very real struggle. The premise, at least of season one, is based on Christina Applegate's character losing her husband. During her grief, she meets and becomes acquainted with Linda Cardellini's character, and there's sort of a, a meshing of storylines. Like, this isn't just coincidental. And I don't want to give any too many, too many spoilers away, but, uh, you know, Cardellini has a little knowledge of how Applegate's uh, husband passed away. Um, it's known he died in a hit and run, but uh, the driver and uh, uh, the person who, who killed him um, is, is at large. And it's dealing a lot with Applegate's grief, and she's the mother of, of two young boys. Uh, one's a teenager, one's uh, prepubescent. And her relationship with Cardellini helps her get through uh, her grief. But as certain stones become unturned, it's basically like who's hiding the truth from whom. There's a lot of, of secrets going, going on. And, and every time you think someone's safe, there's something else to you know, put them in jeopardy, whether it be from someone within the community or the law. It's, 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 it has a, a mystery aspect to it. There's a lot of dark comedy, but it's it's a gut-wrenching series because anytime you feel relieved as an audience member, they always leave you with a little hook at the end that you're like, oh no, I can't believe so-and-so found out about. So it has that like soap opera, you know, drama, mystery feel to it, but not done in a cheesy way. And I think the acting of Applegate and Cardellini is superb. superb. Their, uh, their performances have a lot of range, and I think that's because of the way the characters are written. It's a quick watch. Uh, each episode, like I said, is about a half hour, so you know you can get through a season in about five hours. It'll take you a week to catch up. And it was recently uh, announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, the series will be coming back for a third and final season, which is, is good because while this, this tension and the drama within the comedy is constantly developing and they're going into new directions. It's going to be hard to write that for six, seven seasons, you know, uh, the standard term of a successful series. So that the fact they're ending on three and what, what sounds like their own terms, which I always like to hear when a show, regardless of how long it lasts, is ending on its own terms, you feel as an audience member and as someone committed to the series that you'll be given the proper ending you feel like you deserve at this point. So right. yes, you get closure in that. You get like <laughs> that's that, the word you know, I was looking for. Yeah, yes. you um, and it sounds it sounds very you know what uh, it sounds reminiscent of is Barry on HBO. Have you seen that with uh, yes. Bill Hader? Like it's sort of like that. It, it's because it's it's a comedy series, so they're they're working the half hour time slot, but they're also. Uh, there's also drama in it so that it, it's impactful. Anyway, we got one more series to talk about and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, I, I didn't see all of this one. Uh, did you watch? I don't know if you watched the I whole did. series. So this is Space Force starring Steve Carell and the incomparable John Malkovich. What can you tell us about Space Force? There's a different agency within the government, like, like the Coast Guard, Army, Air Force, Marines. There's now the Space Force, you know, looking to protect America's interests you know, 
within the uh, above the atmosphere and in outer space. One of the themes in the show is POTUS wants boots to the moon 2024. So it, it deals with you know the colonization or attempt at colonization of outer space, working against or, or fighting against other countries to the to be the first to establish colonization there. Uh, Steve Carell is a general who uh, he thinks he's finally receiving his promotion. He's gonna take over the Air Force and he was a three-star general when he gets his fourth star. He finds out he's in charge of this department and uh, it's, it's not uh, anything he expected and he runs it very, very military style even though it's comprised of mostly scientists. So there's that science military aspect. Malkovich plays the head scientist of his department. So there's a lot of conflict between them. And while not saying the Trump administration specifically, they, any times of reference to POTUS, they are talking about that administration. So it's a little socially relevant or a little bit on the nose that way, but uh, I think it gives them a lot to play with. Carell is always great. His character is great. Lisa Kudrow plays uh, his wife, who we find out is not all about all too happy with her move. He's, they're, they're coming from Washington, but they live in a nice house. He's, he's a three-star general, you know, waiting his promotion. And now because of, uh, you know, being part of the Space Force, they're sent to Colorado or Arizona, but basically the desert, you know, not, not exactly what she was expecting. So she goes through a bit of a crisis. Malkovich definitely has uh, his, his, his hand in comedy. Uh, I've always loved him in Burn After Reading. Uh, which you know was a was a dark comedy, and I thought he was great in. This is just a this is just a, just a fun show, serious in its own way, but definitely one worth checking out. A quick binge, half hour, ten episode type show. Steve Carell, John Malkovich, Ben Schwartz. Uh, one of my one of my favorite you know parts of the series is when they have to go before Congress and talk about their budget, and Steve Carell is you know a little bit worried, and they have characters who come off as Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, real-life uh, comparisons in the show, but, um, yeah, they treat the Space Force, uh, and they write it like a space farce. So, yeah, it's, 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 it was a good comedic show. Definitely worth checking out. One of the things is um, that Carell makes apparent right from Jump is that he's not Michael Scott. No. in this show uh he's doing kind of a, a a like he's this stern general military career military guy and he's very gruff and he's kind of doing a gruff voice kind of thing so he, he's playing a character as opposed to like the steve carell part uh, of things and he's definitely not michael scott uh he and malkovich i think played off each other very well um and the sat i think the satire is fair i think it, it probably could have gone fur further in terms of you know uh, political commentary and so forth, but it does a good job. And the um, there's a lot of great physical comedy in it too, yeah. like the war games bit um, <laughs> between the two sides, <laughs> where everybody is dressed in these balloon suits and they can't pop the balloons. It's ridiculous, but it's so ridiculous that it seems like something the American military would actually do. You know, um, it's it's so it's it's. And I'm not uncertain that that hasn't happened, you know. <laughs> and much like Michael Scott, he's a character that gets in his own way. Um, Carell plays a character that gets in his own way as the general of the sixth uh, branch of the armed services. 
but he's a guy you also find yourself rooting for despite his incompetence. And what's interesting about his incompetence here is he's not incompetent because of who he is and his knowledge. He's incompetent because he's put into an unknown branch of the armed services, where if he was in the Air Force, there would be no show, it wouldn't be comedic, it would just be a general, four-star general going about his day. But you put him into this unknown territory, outer space on top of it, you know, what, what, a be what better unknown territory, you set yourself up for a lot of comedy. There's definitely some great, like, fish out of water, kind of, especially when he goes into the, the bunker where he's got a room with the scientists as if they were <laughs> on the moon, um, and he's still trying to do the same things that he would do on Earth. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but it is fun. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's a fun watch. It's a fun binge. Uh, anyway, my friend, I got to wrap up once again, uh, for those who want to follow you, seek out, uh, you and your reviews, where can they find you on the web? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EJRGenio. That's at E-J-A-R-G-E-N-I-O. Great. And, uh, I want to thank all of you guys out there for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. Once more, uh, for more of our content, including our written movie reviews, you can find them on our website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. You can also like, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And once again, I want to thank our sponsor, JMR Rentals, for sponsoring this episode. Thanks once again to EJ Argenio and for Behind the Rabbit Productions. I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.